Coach Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. On this episode of Celeb Savant, I will be speaking to Jack Hughes from Wang Chung. Wang Chung are an English new wave band formed in London in 1980 by Nick Feldman, Jack Hughes and Darren Coston. The name Wang Chung means yellow bell in Chinese and is the first note in the Chinese classical musical scale. The band found their greatest success in the USA with five top 40 hits there, all charting between 1983 and 1987, including Dance All Days, Everyone Have Fun Tonight and Let's Go. This is Celeb's Fund, Barrett Edelstein, speaking to Jack Hughes from Wang Chung. This is Barrett Edelstein, Celeb's Fund, and today we are speaking to Mr. Jack Hughes from Wang Chung. Jack, where do we find you in the world? What's happening in your life? And how are you today? Well, I'm good to answer your questions in reverse order. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm, in, I'm in Canterbury, <laughs> uh, which is in the UK, about 60 miles southeast of London and um, I'm actually working on some uh, Huang Chung uh, tracks. We're planning on uh, releasing, it's, it's the 40th anniversary of our very first album which came out in 1982 uh, and um, yeah, called Huang Chung, when we spelt the name a little differently, H-U-A-N-G mm-hmm. instead yeah. of W-A-N-G and uh, yeah, uh, we found some extra tracks on the multi-tracks from the studio sessions you know, uh, so I've just been mixing those and uh, so that we can put them on the, the CDs. It's initially going to be a sort of deluxe edition CD release and we'll eventually get round to releasing it on vinyl as well. But that takes a little more time these days. You know, there's a lot of uh, material shortages and so on, you know. So anyway, that's what you find me doing, working on Huang Chung stuff. <laughs> Let's take it to the very beginning. Tell yeah. me how you guys started, how you guys chose the name. Hmm. Let's go to... Day one of Huang Chung. Huang Chung. Well, I met Nick in, well, way back. I think it was really 1978 that I met Nick. So that's a really is a long time ago. And I met him through doing an audition for his band, as he had it then. His band was called The Intellectuals. And uh, I got the gig as his sort of backup guitar player. Nick and I then went through various incarnations of bands. Uh, uh, so uh, we picked up various players along the way. We had Glenn Gregory, who went on to join Heaven 17. We had Lee Gorman, who went on to join Bow Wow Wow, working in our bands. But eventually we distilled it down to me, uh, Nick, <clears throat> Darren Costin, and Dave Bernand uh, as the sort of um, Huang Chung, as we called it. And uh, <clears throat> we managed to get a, a record deal uh, with a little independent label. This was in the days of sort of punk in London. And uh, there were lots of indie labels, and, and one of them signed us up to release a couple of C- singles. And, and that's really what set Huang Chung on its way. Tell us more about the name. Why you guys chose the name? Yeah, it's always difficult to answer that question, you know, because it's a very whimsical <laughs> thing, you know. When you, I don't know if you've ever been in a band and sat around and try and decide a name, you know, name, you, you put things in a hat almost. And uh, But Huang Chung, I guess, was just uh, really unusual. There were a few bands around at the time with Chinese, there was China Crisis, you yeah. know. Susie and the Banshees were doing a slightly kind of Chinese thing. Uh, there was a band called Japan as well. So I think Orientalism was in the air. 
But we chose it in a slightly jokey way, really, you know, that um, it was partly to do with the sound of it. I thought it sounded like, you know, a guitar. Um, but the name actually means uh, yellow bell in Chinese, Wang, yellow Chang bell. Uh, and it's this yellow bell that rings at the center of the universe and produces like billions of uh, frequencies. But our reality is one of those frequencies. So um, I thought that was a pretty good idea. You know? That is a cool idea because then you creating music and sound on one of those frequencies for everyone to exactly. listen to. Yeah. And it's harmonizing with that frequency. The idea is, you know, that music should uh, being tuned with the uh, <clears throat> with a wang chan, yeah. you know. So yeah, it's a cool idea, you know. But uh, obviously, it was quite uh, <laughs> to begin with. We found it quite an alienating name, you know, because people. It's got no. I mean, one of the things I liked about it was that it's quite a like anti rock and roll name, if you like, you know. And obviously, people could have no connection with the name, which again I liked, you know. Uh, but when we signed to Geffen Records, uh, David Geffen said because we were thinking about changing the name completely, and he said, "No, you should keep the name because it's." catchy but change the spelling so that people can just say it and, yeah. and not feel alienated by it so that's how he got it to wang chan now mm. tell us about your music creativity process uh mm. back in the day in the 80s and currently you said you're releasing going to be releasing a mm. 40th anniversary with some yeah. potentially some new songs which we're excited mm. to hear about tell mm. us about how you create music what inspires you and your journey of creating nothing from that sound frequency <laughs> to a beautiful mm. song at the end of that three minute cycle yeah, how can I answer that sort of uh, sensibly, or <laughs> meaningfully? <laughs> you know, it, it's a strange process. It's quite intuitive for me, quite unconscious a, a lot of the time. I guess back in the 80s when I was writing, I, I don't think it's any different now. You know, I'll be noodling around on a guitar or a keyboard and come up with some sort of combination, quite often with chords or something like that, or some sort of texture, which generates a sort of bit of an emotion. And out of that emotion, I try and write a lyric and stuff. And the best songs I find, I write the lyrics and the music pretty quickly together, you know. Uh, but it usually starts from a little idea that you then kind of explode out into a, a sort of bigger structure. And obviously songs, uh, especially in the 80s, were highly structured. You know, you had your intro verse mm -hmm chorus sort of thing you know uh although i always try to play around with that you know so like dance all days for example doesn't really have a, a chorus if you know what i mean there's the, the the sax riff i suppose and i sing dance all days over that but again that's more of a link back to the verse so i i tried to always keep things very fluid you know my sort of songwriting heroes of the beatles really or john Lennon, and paul mccartney you know and the way that they were able to create songs that didn't get bogged down in a big chorus you know but that would be quite flexible i used to teach songwriting at the university here in canterbury and i used to spend quite a lot of time talking about form and structure uh, and that to me is pretty key and being able to manipulate all that is important i think it's amazing so many of the artists i've spoken to many 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 of them i've mentioned mm. some of your friends chesney and carol decker and china crisis yes. was spoken to and and cool. so many of them have sp mentioned the beatles and it's amazing yeah. how they created a foundation for so many artists to develop yeah. out of and inspired so many artists to create and for us to as listeners to enjoy through yeah. the 70s, 80s, even present day. So mm. we thank the Beatles for being around because... Sure do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If they... Well, I think, uh, you know, I still think they're, they're 
legacy. You know, I mean, obviously, it's it's fine to just play Beatles records like Beatles records, you know. But I don't think they, they're still not truly appreciated for what they really did to, to pop music. You know, I mean, I think Pete Townsend said, you know, they put they changed pop music into art music sort of yeah. which or put the art into pop music well, they certainly did that you know but they did something else as well something very profound i think and if you were growing up with them uh, as i was i mean i was like eight years old when i first heard the beatles you know but between my when i was eight to when i was 12 was when they released from please please me to sergeant pepper you know and uh, that was an incredible music education. And also they were culturally really significant, especially in the UK. They were right mm. there on the news, sort of. They weren't just like a, a band. It's very hard to conceive it these days, you know, because a band would not generate like a prime bit of um, evening news. Yeah. But, but they would, you know. So it, it, they were very important culturally. You know? Are you still teaching music writing no, I, I don't do that anymore. No, I, I did that for about uh, sort of 10 years in all, I suppose, starting off just like doing an hour a week for a, to help a friend out sort of thing and ending up teaching a full three-year sort of degree course uh, for students. Yeah, I stopped doing it for sort of personal reasons mainly, but I also did feel, I don't know, that to begin with the students, maybe they were growing up with the sort of legacy of 90s guitar bands who in turn were very influenced by the Beatles. So I could talk about the Beatles and Dylan and, and Hendrix and the Stones and those artists that had really influenced me. And it all made sense to those kids in the early 2000s, you know. Uh, but as time wore on, guitar bands became less and less relevant in a sense and dance music really took on more. And also maybe the attitude of the students changed a bit as well from being... Uh, open to suggestions to being a little more kind of well i kind of like it how it is thanks so i don't need your <laughs> advice you know oh wow <laughs> which is fair enough in a way but yeah and also i think when you're teaching you know you, you need to refresh you know so um i sometimes do like a a, a day or a, like a sort of master class type thing at the university here um but i decided to to drop the sort of class teaching as it were i just felt that i wasn't fresh and wasn't really helping the students you know so, yeah I want to dive into a couple of, of your bigger songs, Dance All Days and yeah. Everyone Have Fun Tonight. Let's dive deep, to, deep okay. into those couple of songs. Tell us a little bit about <clears> them, <throat> what inspired <throat> them, and why we love them so much. And what about them <laughs> do you love about so much? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad you all love them. You know, that's good for me. Dance All Days, I've said many times, I, I was, you know, this was in the sort of early days of Wang Chung in a sense. We did an album with Arista, this one that I was talking about, Wang Chung, which we we're going to re-release. That was, uh, it, it didn't have the sort of massive hit single that they hoped it would be, or the record company didn't manage to create it as a as a hit single and um and so we were you know how can i put it as a writer you you feel the pressure in a sense of like you know you've got to come up with something that's going to connect with people you know and uh, and i came up with dance all days when i was still teaching guitar at that point to uh, just in secondary schools here in the uk you know, or in, in london actually and uh, some kid didn't show up for their lesson and i was just messing around and came up with the main calls of dance all days and the main lyric as well the take your baby by the hand thing you know but i think it's probably the rhythm that was uh, the, the catchy thing about it and uh, in those days you know drum machines were were new and everyone was using them and drum machines were very much about four four and going boom, boom, ding, 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 ding. they could do that very well because they divide the beats up into you know everything's divided by two but if you start dividing everything by three drum machines get confused <laughs> yeah. and uh, so it became quite a challenge to try and get the feel the sort of 
the, the, the kind of electronic feel that I wanted, you know, but also this kind of uh, shuffle rhythm to it, which we took a, in away from the Burundi beats of um, of Adam and the Ants, you know, the, the, the stuff that they were doing. And uh, a couple of people, I mean, Joni Mitchell had used those beats as well, actually, a little earlier. But it was a sort of slightly African feel to the rhythm that I wanted to get. And um, so I think it is that sort of uh, the mixture of electronic synths and the African feeling, the drums or the shuffle thing. Someone once said Dance All Days was the first hip hop record, you know, which I thought was quite funny. But <laughs> Just to interrupt you there, so we can thank your uh, student for not pitching up, for creating such beautiful music and for you Absolutely. putting you guys on yeah. the map. <laughs> did you yeah. ever, ever yeah. thank that student? <laughs> I, I never did. No, time. I didn't realise what was happening really, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, but yeah, but no, it's fortunate that he that he, uh, that he didn't show up or she. Yep. I can't remember whether it was a yep. he or a she. Yeah. And everyone have fun tonight. Everyone have fun tonight was um, I guess we'd had the hit with Dance All Days. Uh, there's then you know follow up hit, and we managed to avoid that by working on the movie soundtrack to, to Live and Die in LA. So uh, that sort of kick the problem of having a hit single into touch for a while but eventually it came back so um yeah nick and i used to meet up and play each other ideas uh and one day he played me this idea that was essentially the embryonic everybody have fun tonight sort of idea and uh and i loved it uh, much to his surprise because he thought i'd find it too cheesy you know uh but uh but i worked on it and sort of came back to him with a sort of version of the song that was quite slow and a bit like hey jude by the beatles you know beatles once again um and you know but anyway we demoed it and uh there was a sort of buzz about that song but when we worked with our producer peter wolf uh he was kind of like this has got to be a up-tempo song party song everybody have fun tonight yeah and i was like no 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 you don't get it it's meant to be sort of ironic uh but uh but he was insistent and so he you know in the studio we sort of created the song together so uh, yeah peter was very important in the way that the song ended up tell me now who besides the beatles and those artists you mentioned who were you listening to in the 80s and who of the current batch of artists if any are you currently listening Mm. to uh, in the 80s, uh, th- there were bands I was listening to. I mean, I listened to, in the 80s, I was listening to a lot of classical music, actually, in a slightly naughty boy kind of way, because I should have been listening to 80s music and taking in the, what was new, you know. But uh, the bands I liked, I loved the Blue Nile. Uh, I loved a band called the Comsa Angels. Uh, I liked Talk Talk. Um, um, Tears for Fears I, I liked as well though, who Chris Hughes was working with and, um, and one of the reasons we wanted to work with Chris was because of his work with uh, Tears for Fears you know. so I think it was um, those slightly more if you like I, I think a lot of the bands in the 80s were influenced by progressive rock <laughs> in a sense but they were kind of repressing all of that influence in trying to write pop songs yeah. and and trying to take on the legacy of punk, you know, which was like to be brief and to the point, you know. But I always detected uh, in the Blue Nile, Comsa Angels, uh, Susie and the Banshees was another one, you know, that they had this feel for 70s music and that that sort of like leaked into what they were doing. So I kind of liked that about 80s bands, you know. Um, the Tubes was another 80s band I really loved. So. And in terms of bands now, uh, I guess I'm not super uh, cognizant of, of what's going on. But one thing that I did come across recently that I love uh, is an album by an artist called Floating Points. Okay. Uh, working okay. with Farrah Sanders and the London Symphony Orchestra, I think. And that album to me is a total masterpiece. Like, really wonderful. And that came out in 2020, I think. So, uh, And he also produced uh, an album called Eliana or Eliane. Eliane. 
I can never pronounce it. Uh, and that, that came out in maybe 2016. And that too, I think, is a fantastic album. So Floating Points, I'm a huge fan. There was a period of time that you guys were not touring or performing together. Mm. Tell us what were you up to during that period of time? Mm. So that was the 90s, I guess, really, because the Wang Chang stopped in like 1990, really. You know, uh, So during that time, I did a bit of producing work with Chris Hughes. Uh, we produced a band called The Definition of Sound together. Okay. Uh, also worked with a band called Gene together as well. I also uh, produced a band called Arcana um, for, for Nick. When Nick uh, stopped sort of being an artist in a way and started working for record labels. And uh, so one of his bands was Arcana. So I did an album with them. And uh, I also did an album with Tony Banks, uh, who's the keyboard player in Genesis. And Tony was doing a solo album and he needed a singer and someone to help him with the lyrics. So I stepped into that breach. And uh, yeah, that was a lovely time, actually. That's about 95, 96. And we made an album. He wanted to give it. He didn't want to call it a Tony Banks album because he thought that had a stigma about it. Mm -hmm. So he called it Strictly Ink. And um, yeah, some uh, people who are deep into Genesis consider Strictly Ink a sort of covert genesis album really you know so uh, and it does it sort of refers back to almost the sort of peter gabriel years of genesis you know so, so you and nick were still in contact during that time you were still in yeah. each other's orbits you were still chatting and that kind of stuff and yeah. what inspired you to guys to reform wang chung and just get have fun again <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it just uh, enough water passed under the bridge for us to, to want to do that. There were some business deals around 2006, six seven that meant that we saw a lot more of each other. And uh, and I think uh, there was a general sense that uh, there was a, a sort of warmth towards Wang Chung, if you like, uh, and, uh, you know, reforming and doing something new would be, yeah, well received, you know. Also, I had written quite a lot of songs. Nick had a few songs as well. And we produced this album called Taser Up. That came out in around about 2012, I think. So um, it was good. Us getting back together was a was a fertile thing. And then we've done these sort of summer tours in the States. We did come to South Africa. That was probably back in 2017, something like that. Okay. And we did a few sort of festival gigs, uh, which was really fun. It was fascinating to come to your country and, and see... Well, just to see it, because <laughs> it's so beautiful. You know, the geography, the topography of it is incredible, you know. So tell me about more about your South African trip. You've mentioned you traveled throughout the country pre-coming mm. to it. What was your perception of it? Pro-coming, post-coming to it, were those perceptions mm. met or distinguished by your coming actually being here? Yeah. Just your whole interpretation of the country mm. and the people. Interesting question. Uh, I guess I, I didn't really have a particular preconceptions about it, you know. Uh, coming to the country... Uh, I guess I did feel the sort of, like in Johannesburg, I felt the sort of edginess of um, some areas of the city and stuff. Um, there was, where do we stay? Um, we were right on the Indian Ocean. I can't remember. Durban. The the, Durban, yeah, yes. Durban. That was very beautiful, I thought. And um, and we also stayed, stayed in Cape Town for a while and uh, drove out. I remember going up into the sort of wine district and sort of hanging out there, you know. Um, but I get, you know, uh, I guess maybe like all big cities, there's there's some beautiful parts, but there's a lot of poverty, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the legacy of all of the problems of South Africa, I, I was felt quite sensitive to that, actually, you know. So, um, 
yeah, it was a sort of mixed feelings, you know. But I did love the people. Uh, I bought a great guitar there that was made out of an oil can. <laughs> with oh, a sort of yes. yes. Onto it, you know? I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And uh, so it was, yeah, it was some really lovely memories of it as well. Yeah. So there's been lots of nostalgia over the last few years like these rewind festivals where all yes. these bands come together and have like an 80s fun get together 80s and 90s what are your thoughts or why do you think somehow not more but there's something around the music from the 80s and early 90s that has this warmth and nostalgia that people want to keep going back to and connecting mm. with why do you think yeah. that is i think the music is generally speaking i mean is generally speaking very positive you know that that sort of especially that sort of american chart music uh had a, a just a very positive feel in the energy of the music you know it's not to do with the lyrics so much you know which could be quite dark on occasions you know but the the artists who dominated the 80s i think were producing it, it was like an up kind of time really yeah. you know i mean the 80s was full of problems I mean, maybe not quite as desperate problems as the ones we face these days <laughs> yeah. you know? but nevertheless i remember you know when ronald reagan was in power and stuff it all felt pretty dystopian and mm. you know there were the wars going on as, as there are now you know but they didn't feel quite so um volatile and dangerous <laughs> as, as they do now you know and i think um yeah i, th I think technology was pushing music forward as well in a really interesting way. And I think music was culturally still very central in people's lives. You know, MTV was a really big thing in people's lives. And um, whereas now I find music is sort of one of many possible forms of entertainment and possibly marginalised, you know, as in a sort of accompaniment to movies and computer games and even social media. And, you know, music's sort of a backdrop for it, yeah. but it's not right in the foreground. And I think in the well, I think particularly the 60s and 70s, but even still in the 80s, uh, music was foreground and um, very much uh, about who you were. You know, your identity was very bound up with the sort of music you listened to. So, uh, and that's true to a certain extent now, but again, not quite as powerful it was as it was back then. And what's interesting, I, you, sorry, carry on. No, I was just going to say that positive thing, I think, yeah. is just, was just somehow in the music. Uh, I don't know quite why, but it, but it was there in distinction to what happened in the 90s and later on. Yeah. What's interesting is you mention all this, and I'm very much, I love my CDs. I still buy my CDs. I'm still opening that book. When you mentioned that deluxe, I was like, ah, it's, I'm oh, yeah. adding it to my list. It's going to be there. It was vinyl, uh, cassette, CDs. Those are my, making a comeback. In fact, last year... Yeah. For the first time in 21 years, I'm not sure if you knew, know this, CDs increase their sales um, okay. for the first time in 21 years. Cassettes are making right. a comeback. Vinyls are ma mm. making a comeback. But it's all this, these digital platforms. Tell me, yeah. what are your thoughts on how people are now consuming and listening to and engaging and interacting with music compared mm. to when you were releasing music in the 80s and 90s? Yeah. Well, I think this whole thing about the, the physical object that you play your music from you know is very important you know and the lack of that with streaming i think is is a massive uh, lack you know cumulatively you know so I, I buy a lot of vinyl now i've got a lovely record deck here and uh, you know good sound system uh vinyl is a great way to listen i think because it does make you sort of sit down and, and listen there's something mm -hmm. about the, the format and the, and the sound of it as well and cds i'm similar to you i started buying cds again and uh i i just like having 
the objects, you know, and to be able to sort of read the sleeve notes and all of that stuff. And um, my, my oldest son, Harry, was actually talking to me about streaming recently. And he said, the problem with streaming is there's always something else. You know, when you're listening, you're sort of thinking about what shall I play next, you know, because the access is infinite, you know. Whereas when you put on a CD and even more with a piece of vinyl, you're not thinking about that. You're you're listening to what you're listening mm. to, you know. And so, um, yeah, I, I think these physical formats will continue to make a com- comeback. And, you know, the, the streaming services are great, as I say, for access. You know, you kind of put a song in your head and you just want to hear it again. There it is, right at the click of a button. But the lack of context for it, I think that's what it is, uh, it is problematic long term. Yeah. And people who are really into music will always go to physical formats, yeah. I think. And what's interesting because I've got my Spotify account because I teach spinning classes and I create uh, playlists for that. But Mm. like I said, I still buy my CDs. But every now and then I go back into that Spotify playlist that I created maybe a year or two years ago. Mm. I'm like, one of the songs are gone. That song's no longer there. You know, they've removed the song. Yeah. Whereas if I've got the CD, it's yeah. ever present. It's always in my hand. I will never not have that song in my hand. It will not be in the cloud somewhere for someone to delete or remove away from. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. And inevitably, these companies will come and go. You know, it's like, you know, they're around now, but will Spotify be around in five years? Probably not. Yeah. So, uh, you know, something else might be that company might buy up all of the data from Spotify and, and re generate it all or it may not you know so i think it is it's very ephemeral in every sense you know and and it's uh not you know i think the guy who runs spotify uh, said something about you know like you know spotify is not about music it's about subscriptions you know and i think that sort of sums it all up really yeah you know, that, i mean that's yeah. really I, the minute you said that my my head tilted yeah. to the side for those exactly yeah. like really but yeah um, it's yeah. enough to make you want to cancel your subscription immediately that's yeah right. You were speaking of this 40th anniversary album mm. or edition. So are there going to be any new new songs and new tracks there or just uh, remixes and updates of the old songs? Well, there's there's no new songs in the sense of from now, but okay. there's new song, there's unreleased stuff on, okay. on the album. So songs that have, uh, I mean, there's been some Wang Chung fans, you know, Uber fans who've been uh, pushing around uh, various different uh you know, outtakes and live stuff. But this will be, we're working with a guy called Vinnie Vera in uh, New York. And Vinnie is the most meticulous encyclopedic mind you'll ever come across and absolutely loves kind of collating all of these <laughs> sort of things that even I'd forgotten uh, that, that we did. In fact, he sent me some uh, lyrics that he tried to transcribe from a song that I I just couldn't remember, so he had to send me the song, <laughs> and I listened to it this morning. And uh, yeah, it's, so there's there's some really rare stuff going to come out on that. I'm looking forward. And when is that coming out? Uh, well, we plan to have something when we're touring in August in the states because we plan to tour in the states this August. Uh, but I think the official release will probably be September, early September, possibly mid September. Cool. I'm looking forward to seeing that. And yeah. any plans to come back to South Africa to perform again? Well, I'd love to. I mean, there are no concrete plans but uh it would be great to come back and and do some more stuff yeah so i will be there in the wings uh there and we'll go for coffee and we'll go for drinks (laughs) i'm gonna put you on the spot right now (laughs) i I get my little evil laugh and little evil grin when i do this (laughs) your top five favorite songs by other artists Top of mind now, come to mind. What are your top five favorite songs by other artists? Okay. Uh, Hey Jude by The Beatles. Okay. 
um, Purple Rain by Prince. Okay. Um, five songs. Um, you Keep Me Hanging On by The Supremes. Okay. Um, uh, all in the pop world, we can't sort of stray off into jazz. Anything, anything. Yeah, really? Um, so I would say um, Lulu's Back in Town by uh, Thelonious Monk okay. is his version of that, yeah. Um, what should we end up with? Um, Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. Wow, such an eclectic <laughs> mix. I'm going to add all of them. Some of them are already, most of them are already, I've got them, but uh, a couple of those I'm going to check out. To finish off, last question. Mm. Um, we wish for those guys who are watching, listening, Nick was unfortunately not well today, could not join yes. us. He's got yeah. a bit of COVID, so we send him well wishes and yes. blessings yeah, well, and all those mm. lovely kind of things. And um, next time we'll be speaking to the two of you. But as a last yeah. message to our listening and viewing audience, what would that last message be? Stay safe is mm. for sure. You know, uh, you know, poor Nick, he's managed to avoid COVID all these Years, isn't it, that he's been with us? Um, but um, no, hasn't. Uh, but he'll be okay, I'm sure. You know. Um, my message to to all you guys, yeah. Well, um, listen to lots of music and let it really touch your soul, and um, and, and love one another. Ah, oh, brilliant. I love that. So we have been speaking to Mr. Jack Hughes from Wang Chung. This is Celebs Barrett signing out. Yeah.